so damn tired of waiting on a perfect A plus B. The one size fits all prudent kids all screaming about irrevocability. Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches, and fight our own way free. Cause the rules don't lie, but they don't apply to people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out. And the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember the walls were built to fall for old people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is Episode 2, The Arts Advocacy Day Diaries, recorded between March 19th and March 21st, 2017, in Washington, D.C. Courtney, what is happening? I'll tell you what's happening. Actually, some some good news. A little bright spot in the midst of what can feel like a crazy, mad, mad world. Um, a couple weeks ago, the budget appropriation uh, a deal was passed by both houses. Amazing. A bipartisan effort uh, in order to avoid a government shutdown. A budget proposal was uh, approved that was for this fiscal year, the current fiscal year. And in that, lots of uh, lots of negotiations apparently was happening. And funding for the National Endowment for the Arts, NEA, actually for the rest of this year, it has secured $150 million, which is actually an increase of $2 million from the original uh, proposed budget. So I don't know. That's kind of a, an amazing win for, for everyone. And just as a side note, the, the bill did not dedicate any funds towards the wall. So every year, third week in May, is the Association of Teaching Artists Teaching Arts Awareness Week. It's a really great opportunity to unveil and highlight and pl- shine a spotlight, if, uh, if you will, um, on teaching artists who are doing exciting work in the field. So they do that on the Facebook page. So check it out. March 20th and March 21st were a big day. The Americans for the Arts held its annual Arts Advocacy Day. This is where advocates from around the nation gather in the Capitol to lobby or advocate for funding for the National Endowment uh, for the arts to Congress members. March essentially is the start of the budget appropriation process for the next fiscal year. So in my world, this process might be similar to when I'm doing budget projections for the education department um, where I work at the New Victory Theater. So we are doing some season planning, working with our artistic programming department, collaborating with the the operations and production to make sure that we have a really exciting, uh, well-curated experience. But then we also have to sort of break down how much is everything going to cost what are the expenses? So we go back and we think about what, what are all the engagement uh, opportunities around each production, how much that will cost, and we put all those pieces together. You know, in Congress, the U.S. government, I feel like that's what the process is like. It's similar. Um, they need people, though, people like me, people like you, to help them understand what's important um, for the different departments within government. And for this event, 
it's it's one where an army of people who are artists, students, arts educators, where they can come and, ex- and speak directly to Congress members to discuss the importance of the arts. So this was my experience. What you're going to hear is my experience in the nation's capital. I don't want to say I'm like a roving reporter or anything like that, but I kind of was. I guess it was just me. <laughs> it was me doing a whole lot of work and then telling it to you and aka a recording a handheld recording device at the end of each day where I was completely exhausted and or nervous or just feeling a whole lot of things. So I'm sort of thinking about it like a diary. We are going to try and share experiences when I go out into the field, if I'm at a conference or a, a gathering of artists, um, to hear my diaries. And so this first section is me the night before the first day of arts advocacy. So here is Arts Advocacy Day Diaries, March 19th. Welcome to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. I am Courtney J. Body, and I am talking to you from Washington, D.C., the nation's capital. I am in D.C. specifically to advocate for the arts as part of the Americans for the Arts Arts Advocacy Day. It is an event that they do uh, annually where they advocate specifically to Congress people, Congress members, and senators um, as part of the budget proposal process. As you may know, our current president has put forth a budget proposal that includes eliminating the NEA, the National Endowment for the Arts, and the NEH which is the National Endowment for the Humanities, uh, as well as uh, drastically cutting many other federal uh, departments like the EPA, um, the State Department, and and more. That said, this will be my first year being a part of the Arts Advocacy Day, and um, it's something that I've been really um, following for for years and, and really happy that the Americans for the Arts, which was started about 50 years ago, Anyway, uh, they've been around for a really long time, and this is exactly what they do. They advocate for arts on the federal level and support um, arts organizations, arts councils, etc. on the state and local levels. Um, I've been going to their uh, conferences for years, um, and right now they are in the thick of it and being the loudest voice for supporting um, hashtag save the NEA. Uh, so that's why I'm here. Um, I will be meeting specifically with um, leaders from my state, New York, um, and we have representatives from all 50 states. The NEA actually serves all 50 states, unlike most, not every single federal uh, department actually serves all 50 states, which I think is interesting. Part of the money that is allocated to it helps to preserve visual art pieces. So I thought it would be interesting to take you on this journey as this is my first time that I would be able to share with you. I can just give you a slight overview and then we'll, um, I'll do my best to include you in on as much of the process as I can. So tomorrow is a day of training. There are people who've been doing this uh, uh, for a while and so they actually split us up into people who are what they're calling novices like me. I've never done this before. And people who are more advanced and we get trained. And there's two different sets of trainings and it's an early morning. We start at 8.30 in the morning, um, get revved up, fired up, 
um, and then get to get to learn it in training. And I, I hope this or some sort of practicing, like, uh, what do you call it? Like a mock, a mock conversation that you end up having. Um, I'm hoping that these skills will be very, very transferable to um, being able to advocate on the more local sectors and um, state sectors. Uh, and then you, I will meet all the different state delegations will meet. Um, we'll, New York State has been broken into eight teams. So eight different sets of um, New York representatives will meet with different congressional leaders, which is um amazing just absolutely amazing um so we'll meet and learn and then there's a fundraising event that i'm not going to and then there is a reception at kennedy at the kennedy center which i'm really excited about i love the kennedy center it's right on the potomac there's always a helicopter that flies by and it's really a, a wonderful um performing arts and arts hub so come along on this journey with me and um Let's learn what it's like to advocate for something that you believe really deeply in. I believe deeply in the fact that I think that all Americans should have access to arts and um, it should be high quality and it needs to happen in all the different kinds of community settings, um, both in the urban settings and rural settings, um, in school, after school, out of school time, working with elderly, um, in prisons. I've said it before and I will say it again. When you want to take arts away, you want to take hope away. The arts have a, the ability for you to stretch your mind, stretch your heart, stretch your, your community, you know, by being social, by creating together that in and of itself seems to be a, at complete opposition to whatever it is that this administration wants. And they are being very short-sighted and also, in my own humble opinion, assholes. Huh. But really, it's a dangerous agenda. And I, for one, could not sit back without at least trying. So here I am, trying. Fired up. Ready to go. You ready to go with me? Let's do this. March 20th. Something people may not know about me is I tend to go really silent in new situations. I'm sort of uh, trying to read the room, read the space. My antennas go up. And I'm trying to understand all the things. And so... I take something away in order to add in more space for intake. So that that day, uh, I felt like a newbie, and I really didn't socialize. Actually, I kept seeing people, but I wasn't really talking to them. And my head was just swimming and spinning with all these stats and figures and sort of me trying to come up with strategies about how I can make a compelling case. I felt completely exhausted by the end of the day from all that brain work and, and frankly from walking from the Kennedy Center to the reception after and I completely got lost. This is Arts Advocacy Diaries, March 20th. Hello, it's me, Courtney Bonnie. Uh, I am about to crawl into bed. It has been quite a day. I am... 
so impressed with the amount of work, the amount of passion, um, the amount of strategy and um, the thing that I, I think sticks out the most is is you need data. You need to present data. There has to be data that you're giving and you cannot make it up. It has to be factual, real data points, but that there needs to be an accompanying story. So you don't present data without a story and you can't tell a story without presenting data. So they go hand in hand. Persistence is the key. You have to, tomorrow's not the only day. You know, it's not, you have to keep going. You have to follow back up, send the letter, send the emails, make the phone calls, check in in a week, check in in a month, keep going because this is the beginning of the process. Um, another thing that we talked a lot about was, you know, how to ask and how to strategize, but, but tomorrow is about the arts. So we're going to focus in, then there's a lot of different categories that fall under that. There's arts, there's, um, uh, arts and education, arts across different, um, sectors like arts and health or well-being, arts in the military, um, so there's there's a lot of uh, places to go. There's also the concept of like the um, the charitable tax um, cap versus like what's happening now. So there's a tax credit that you get for donating, and if they lower the amount that the total amount that a one person can uh, donate, um, or, or meaning you can get a credit on how much you donate, and they lower that amount. Um, that will have a direct impact on how much people donate and therefore, hello, uh, that could have a, you know, a disastrous effect on the private funding efforts of, uh, nonprofit organizations where in order to have funding from the NEA, you have to match that, those funds. So that's a big deal. Um, what else did I learn? Well, before I keep going with what else I learned, I, I'll tell you what I was struck by. Since the election and, and sort of before for me, um, I think I had a, a, before the election happened, I was, I was not as assured as many of my colleagues and friends seemed to be about who was going to win this election. I just, I didn't want to get excited until it was true. And then when it, when the uh, results came through, um, it, it was devastating, absolutely devastating. I wasn't surprised in that way. I was more, um, sad, just sad because I had an a doom <laughs> doomsday like feeling and almost all of my fears have come true and so it's been dark it's been it's been really really rough especially for people who work in the arts and people who i think are quite progressive and forward thinking and have a real sense of hope and a lot of that hope felt like it was dashed um 
and, and again, <laughs> there have been days where it has felt like, oh God, oh God, oh God, what now? What next? Today, I felt a little bit like I was on a roller coaster, a little bit like there's this thing. Oh, okay. So this, this, this budget process is long and we have time to make our, our arguments and this is the beginning of it. That was a hope, a hopeful sign. And then it was like, also like Washington has never been divided as much as it is today. Okay. A little bit of setback. Okay. Um, and so there was this young man who, um, uh, won an essay contest and then spoke and he was very quite eloquent. He was a theater kid, um, AP English student and talked about why the arts were so important um, and how to support the new uh, education bill that has been passed and how to implement it. And um, he referenced Hamilton uh, quite a few times. Um, side of hope. Woo. I like that sprung me forward. I was definitely like, oh, there's hope. Look at that kid. Like he's got it all together and he's better speaker than I feel like I ever was at 17, let alone however old I am now. And, and then, you know, we, br- and so, so anyway, so with each moment every day, every moment that, uh, session that I kept going to or sat in and had a new speaker with, um, there was, there was a, a moment of hope and a moment of like, oh, reality, right? One of the people that I thought was the most impressive actually was we, there is um, a fellow uh, who is a senator, a state senator um, from Massachusetts, Senator Rosenberg. He himself was a musician, although he says that he played the tuba and that he wasn't very good and he gave it back, but he was... Um, he's been a senator for quite a few few years and he was, I felt like he gave really good advice, um, clarity around what it's like to have these conversations with legislators and what is the broader spectrum of what they are doing and how they operate, um, in this, in this, uh, in the Hill. And, um, I felt like that was, that was so useful. Um, he also, he humanized them, all of them, but also sort of said, you know, like, that's why you have to be so clear and you have to be able to make your argument within two minutes, even if you have 15, because they are hearing from many people. He also talked about how to follow up and why it's so important to follow up and that you stay persistent. I mean, he didn't say it exactly the same way as Nina did, but they basically said the same things like, this is your job. The other thing that I was thinking about while, while there, and I actually was thinking about this on my way down, was I, I don't know about you. Maybe because it was a different administration, executive branch. I don't know. But when the Republicans were in the minority, it felt like they were just dragging their feet right? So there was, there was, the house especially was just like a do-nothing house. That's That was sort of their MO. And now I feel like people are working. Whether they're working for things that I, or their views are, uh, yeah, their views are, are opposing to mine, or oppose mine, um, 
I feel like everybody's working. Is that, am I crazy? <laughs> I very, I very well could be, but it does feel like we're all working. Like before, maybe on the progressive liberal side, it felt like you know, um, Bernie as a senator, Obama as the president, like people were working for you and so you didn't necessarily like the kind of protesting I was doing was very minimal and by protesting I mean like or speaking out was when I got some an action alert from um you know America's for the Arts and I would do sort of a form letter and then email it off and feel like yes I've done my but my bit and in the last few six weeks few months it has felt like you make your phone calls and now you've got ResistBot that will make sure that you can text something and then it becomes a fax. That's awesome. And I have a way of making these phone calls. I don't have time to make phone calls every day. That's crazy. But people are working and I'm getting like, I'm on all these different uh, listservs and I'm gaining information and I'm talking and learning more about how this government works as well as how I, as a constituent, uh, of my of my leaders um, can make my voice heard and that that is how they do their job is they and this is what Senator Rosenberg said we work for you they work for us but they can only do what they know right so if you don't tell them hey vote yes on this or no on that or you know keep fighting for that or please talk to your colleagues about this Thank you for being on this um, committee and, and that committee. And thank you for that vote. You're doing a great job. Keep up the good work. Like they need to hear from us. What a freaking concept, right? What a concept. It's just like, it's a no brainer, but I have to be honest. I haven't been this active. I feel like I've been more active in the last um, six weeks, eight weeks. I guess it's been eight weeks now. Last eight weeks, maybe then in the last year. What else? Then we broke into our state delegations. There were 99 people from New York State. And our team captains, who are from upstate, um, western New York actually, or at least one of them was, um, he said something along the lines of, "It. I've done this for six years now. This is the most amount of people we've had from New York State. Often, the larger representation of the state is New York City. And for the first time since I've been doing this, we have representation across the entire state. He said there's like one, one or maybe two counties that are not represented, but um, or districts, sorry, districts that weren't actually represented in the, in the 99, which, you know, New York state has quite a few districts. So I think that's pretty impressive. Um, and so they've broken us up into teams to be able to, um, hit all of the congressional leaders, the house leaders, um, and then to also talk with, um, our New York state senators, which is Gillibrand and Schumer, um, uh, who's the minority leader. It's very exciting. So, um, so my team is meeting for 
representatives. Uh, we are meeting with Jose M. Serrano. So he's got a really diverse, like extremely diverse district. Um, Maloney, who is the Upper West Side. Um, sorry, Carol Maloney. Um, as well as Jerry Nadler, who has essentially like the Broadway district down to the financial district along the west side. Um, and the fourth one is Velasquez. Um, anyway, in our group, when we broke up, we decided that we would um, create some sort of little template just to know who was going to talk because there's like 10 of us. Um, uh, so we have sort of a, the using that same model of like set it up, do your introductions, talk about what you're going to talk about, get to the, the data, get to the story, and then um, wrap it up with the ask. We'll see how that goes. We'll see how that goes. Uh, from there, we went to the Kennedy Center, which, oh, the Kennedy Center. I love it there for some reason. I don't know why. It's just a box. but It's so cool. I mean, like, it's shaped like a box, but it's so cool. There's always helicopters flying by because it's around the Potomac and it's on its way to the monument. It's just cool. Like, five helicopters flew by real close. Like, I could touch them. I felt like it was crazy. Um, so there, there was a fundraiser for earlier. And then there was this event where, um, Robert Lynch, who is the CEO and president of Americas for the Arts was speaking. He introduced Anna Devere Smith. Anna Devere Smith. Holy shnikey. This woman can act. But it's not just like, it's not such, it's not, Anyway, she did two, <laughs> she did two, um, two excerpts or monologues from her latest, uh, production, uh, called, um, Notes from the Field. And it was, uh, the piece was, the whole production was about the school to prison pipeline. And so she, all of her work or generally her work is about is ethnodramas, right? So she interviews, um, she interviews people and then she creates theater out of that. And it's really, it really is their words. So she doesn't really do a whole lot of editing on the actual words that the, uh, people that she interviews, um, that then obviously become characters. Uh, she doesn't, she doesn't really edit that. What's fascinating about her, um, process as far as I could see, I, and I, I must be honest, I've never seen her in a full production. I've seen her in excerpts before. I've obviously seen her on television. She was in the West Wing. She's in Nurse Jackie. Um, there's a movie that I remember seeing her and being like, she's awesome. She's a very good actress, but she takes on their mannerisms, their cadence, their physical physicality. I mean, she really just sort of recreates this person. And I, I'm just so, I'm just so curious, like what is her process to do that part? It's one thing to like transcribe what somebody says, but to how, I mean, all the way down to like how they breathe and how they smile and like ticks that they have like it's 
pretty impressive. And my 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 good friend Jennifer Katona, who is the um, the program director for uh, the educational theater program at City College, um, she was there, um, and she had seen her in other pieces. I'm not sure if she saw this particular piece, but she was saying on the bus there, on the way there, she was saying, oh, you know, like if she only does one, you'll think, oh, she's good. But if she does more than one, then you will really see how good she actually is, like how amazing she is. So she got to do two pieces. The first one was a woman uh, who was convicted of murder uh, in the first degree, second degree, I don't know, but convicted of murder in, in jail for 25 years and, um, was in a program that was helping prisoners go to college. Um, so, so she, she did that monologue really good. Like I could see the character, I could see everything. Her second monologue was of John, of Congressman John Lewis, if you know who John Lewis is, he um, is has been a civil rights um, activist. Um, you know, he just recently got into like a big old thing with our president. You know, he's kind of old and um, he's lived quite a life and he's got a very specific cadence and way of speaking. And boy, oh boy, that piece was killer was so good and he was talking about how apparently um a, a, a sheriff in Alabama w- took off his badge they were at like some 50th anniversary it must have been the 50th anniversary of Selma and um this sheriff like took off his badge and said you know I want to I would I want you to have this I want you to um, forgive me, forgive us. That was pretty impressive. I can't, I can't say anything more. I just like the way she took on not only his way of speaking, but the essence of what was in his heart. This man was so deeply touched by the fact that the sheriff took off his badge and said, I must give this to you. You must have this as a, as an atonement for what has been done to you and to to black people especially around that time and then later he tells like in the same model like he tells another story about how when he was a freedom writer he was beaten up by some men and in 2007 that was like in this the early 60s right and then in 2007 this 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 man came to him told him i was one of the men who beat you will you forgive me and the way that anna devere smith plays the character of congressman john lewis in that retelling of this story was like literally like like plucking out a heart of a human being and say look at the beauty here it was so impressive so so impressive anyway so that was a moment of hope by the way 
these are the stories I'm telling you about. Like here, there's like all these people who are passionate. There's, there's joy, there's intelligence, there's thoughtfulness. This is good. This is real good. Um, I'm really glad that I came. All right. Well, we'll, we'll talk tomorrow. The big day on Capitol Hill. I've been to DC a bajillion times. It's not far away. It's just a quick train ride, four hour train ride down. I had never actually been to Capitol Hill and I didn't, it didn't strike me until I was actually walking on my way up towards the hill from the train station. And it made me remember the first time I truly remember being in DC is being on the Potomac in a paddle boat with my uncle and sort of paddling past all these, the Jefferson Memorial, the Lincoln Memorial. But again, I'd never really been to Capitol Hill. So this was kind of a monumental moment. Not only was I going someplace within DC that where, you know, decisions are made, it's the room where it happens, hello. But also I was there to hopefully make a difference. So I was completely excited, but also, boy, it was, it was nerve wracking. I'm going to speak with these Congress people about something that I believe in deeply. And, you know, is this going to make a difference? Uh, I don't know. But I was really glad that I was there to try. Here is the last section of Arts Advocacy Day, March 21st. Thank you so much for listening. And let's start it up. So, March 21st, 2017. This was the Americans for the Arts. Arts Advocacy Day. Um, I'm exhausted. <laughs> Just exhausted. My brain is exhausted. My heart is full. My feet are tired. <laughs> um, but wow, what a day. What a day. Um, let me run you through it. Got up real early and made my way to Capitol Hill. We were to see four different um, Congress people, one of which originally we had a drop off, uh, meaning we were just going to drop off materials, uh, that was in the packet that we had to put together for each of them. Um, but then we ended up getting, uh, confirmed for com- an appointment at nine thirty. So that was for Nydia Velasquez. And we met with his, with her, um, chief of staff, Jonathan Martinez, um, I have to tell you, I was nervous. I was like, I wasn't sure what to expect. Um, I definitely was very happy that the two, um, the two Congress people that I was to speak with were, um, the second two of our four sessions. So I had a chance to sort of just watch the process a little bit. And I happened to be with such a, an experienced group, at least two or three of people had been there before. Um, other people actually, they, they work a lot with government. So, um, this kind of lobbying is not unusual for them. Right. Um, so there's, there were a lot of us, there were like seven of us, um, which to me felt a little overwhelming, but, um, didn't seem so for the staff. It seemed kind of normal to have like a big group of people coming in and sitting and, the congresspersons or the congresswoman's office. We get to the office on time. We walk into this beautiful 
office space that is like full of deep mahogany wood. For me, it was very intimidating. I'm not going to lie to you. Luckily, everybody else seemed really calm. So for me, I think I played it cool. So our format was was pretty simple. It was like, what is what is a very specific point uh, about the arts that is important to, to that Congress member? Um, what do they already do or have done for um, the arts? And how can we help and then we present data based on that uh, point, that topic that they're interested in, and it tell a story. And essentially, you know, somebody from the group who either does business or has programming in their in their district and or their organization was uh, placed in their district, meaning you know located in their district. So that worked out really well. And what Jonathan said towards the end was sort of like, look, you're preaching to the choir. Like she's already um, interested in, um, you know, the arts. She's going to, she's on, you know, this Congress, this caucus or that committee. And um, it's very exciting. It was very exciting. So it really was like, what can we do for you? As we were leaving though, he then explained um, very vaguely, to be honest with you, that there was a, piece of legislation that Velasquez was going to sponsor that had to do with making sure that young people entering into the the um, workforce, such as um, doctors, nurses, and other kind of laborers, that they wanted to make sure, she wanted to make sure that, that people going entering into the creative arts workforce were also included in that in order to support them, in order to have loan for college, loan forgiveness, and and other sort of subsidies. So I then was like, okay, that's awesome. Um, And we were all really excited about that. So we sort of latched onto that as a way to follow back up with her, as well as joining the Arts Caucus, which is cool. Next appointment, Carolyn Maloney. Here's where it got interesting. How can we help Democrats make the case, or Maloney make the case for Republicans. And he said, if you can help me figure that out, uh, I'll be eternally grateful. Then he said, look, it really comes down to economics, like drive that point home. And that's the thing that, that, that most people will be able to actually understand The the stories are great. The, you know, the why is fine, but really it's like, what is, what does the bottom line come down to? Which, you know, so I feel like there are some people who are very against having to talk about the fact that, you know, the arts as a, as a whole add to the economy. It adds about anywhere between uh, $729 to $760 billion back of revenue back into the economy, which is pretty impressive, I think. Um, and even though that might not be the reason why we do it, it is a wonderful outcome of why, of, of that we do it. Right. So if that's the thing that we need to harp on, then that's fine. And that's the beautiful thing about Americans for the arts is that they literally have all this information talking about what the arts do, why the arts, and, and it comes down to quantitative data as opposed to only, you know, the sort of, Um, social and emotional reasons for doing it and and the qualitative um, or the anecdotes and the stories, right? Though that's important as well. So you, again, taking the data, telling a story and continuing to tell that story and and share that data 
in terms of being persistent. That is so, so important. Okay, so the next session was with Serrano, Jose E. Serrano. Um, his district is the Bronx, or part most of the Bronx, and um, we actually have a school in his district that we are doing research on. Hey, we are in five schools within your district. We're in 39 schools with, across the entire uh, borough of the Bronx, five schools in your district. This school, PS30, um, we are working with 179 students in third and fourth grade. Of those students, of the whole school population, it's 76% Latino, 24% Black. And that's it. That is literally it. Of those students, of all the students, 16% are English language learners. 20% of the students have disabilities. It's a beautiful school. I mean, it very much feels like a family there. It's, it's pleasant. The kids are adorable. The teachers are wonderful. Um, they're very connected and they really love the new victory, which is amazing. And what we do there is we're doing these deep, um, residencies. So the students are seeing three performances a year and having 15 workshops across the school year where they then, you know, are doing sort of pre and post work, but also then creating original work inspired by the productions that they see as a culminating event that's shared pretty publicly, um, in their, um, in their auditorium for family guests and other students, etc., as a demonstration of their learning. Right. So they're really, um, and it's a three-year program. It's called the new victory spark program. Um, it's a three-year program. And so at this point, the fourth graders have seen six performances, had 30 workshops. They are part of a longitudinal study that is looking at specifically the, the intrinsic impact of students or kids watching performing arts, as well as having these workshops. Um, and we've got a set of criteria that we're looking for. And the big thing that we are starting to, to realize is that empathy is being built through this, this ex these experiences, right? Anyway, so I, I'm telling this whole story and these statistics to um, Tiffany, I believe her name was Tiffany, um, who is Serrano's uh, chief of staff or staff member. And she, A, was born and raised in, in New York City, went to Talent Unlimited High School, <laughs> um, was a dancer, like or is a dancer, and now is working in government. How cool is that? So she's like, you're definitely preaching to the choir. But the one thing that I noticed across all the boards was that when each of the staff members, with the exception of maybe Jonathan, the first one, he they all had a notepad and maybe took like one or two like little like scribbly notes. When I was speaking about the research and PS30, she opened up her book and wrote, almost word for word what I was saying. Pretty cool. And so again, the conversation flipped into, okay, we've told the stories. What can we do to help? How can we be resources? I mean, what a wonderful thing to be able to say. And again, how do we help you talk to the Republicans? And Tiffany said exactly the same thing. Like, I wish I knew. <laughs> um, I wish I knew. I wish they would talk to us. It would be really great if we could actually like do some work together. So there's that. And then the last one was um, Nadler, Jerry Nadler. And this 
was probably my favorite of all the meetings because um, Lizette, I think her name was Lizette, she was sick. <laughs> so chief of staff, she was sick and feeling, feeling good. It was towards the end of the day. It was two o'clock or three, sorry, it was three o'clock. And, um, we came in, we sat ourselves down. We were sort of in this like amoeba shape instead of an oval. And she was sitting in this like chair where her her feet didn't reach the ground when she sat back. (laughs) So there's that. Again, she had a notebook, never wrote anything down, but she listened. And at first she wasn't quite listening. And then, and then I saw her sort of lean in and I don't remember exactly when that happened, but again, we told our stories. I shifted what my story was because um, the new victory is in Nadler's district, right? So it was less about what are we doing in schools in your district and more about what are, what's happening in the theater in, uh, that's in your district. So I talked about, um, again, that the NEA supports artistic programming and like how important it is for kids to see different kinds of works from around the world, um, live on stage, that there's something magical that happens when, you know, the lights go out in the house and the lights or the curtain goes up on stage. And then I talked about the fact that, um, right now we have a piece, uh, a new play, uh, about Malcolm X, uh, that was written, that is written by playwright Marcus Gardley and, um, working in collaboration with the acting company. So the, the title of the show is X colon or comma, uh, Betty Shabazz versus the nation. And the acting company had made a decision early on that they were wanted to have on stage seating. So there was this, seating that was built as part of the set um and people audience members would sit on either side on stage right and stage left and the first education performance that we had there was a group of students sitting on stage and i happened to be sitting in the mezzanine so i had a really good line on um a, a good view on being able to see and watch which i you know that's what i tend to do anyways watch how the audience is reacting but this is also a, a tremendous play about Malcolm X that is sort of a poetic examination of his life and his death. And it's pretty intense. So for the tech rehearsal, I was sitting on stage. So I kind of know what that's like. So now it's the first education show. And there's this one kid who's sitting um, stage right. And he's pretty reactive. <laughs> um, and he's... He's uh, laughing in all the right places, but like broad, like big, bellowy laughing. And he's leaning in and he's doing all the things that an audience member that you want an audience member to be doing, except he's doing it on stage so he can be seen by everybody, including the actors. Right. And so there's a part of me that is like so incredibly happy that he is thoroughly in it. Right. I'm so happy about this. And then there's another smaller part of me that is slightly worried that the actors might think, oh, God, that kid is such a distraction. And I'm hoping that it's all the the first, second act comes. And he actually swapped spaces. He changed 
where he was sitting for some reason and he was closer. He was the first seat next to the rail that was facing the audience, right? So there's like a little alleyway where actors enter. And at one point towards the end of the play, um, the actor who plays Malcolm X, he's sort of down stage right and he is giving his last sort of monologue and it's it's very he's it's just after he's like cried he knows he's sort of gonna die and or he he knows something's wrong and he's like i never ran i don't like i i did this all for you you know talking to the audience like i know that death is coming for me but i'm gonna do it so it's you know it's emotional and he sort of walks off and comes back on pretty quickly and then he does like that's the the next scene is is malcolm dying and it's pretty intense and then it like it goes into this like imaginary space where it's their first date or their uh, him and betty's first conversation about going on a date which is very like lovely and strange and whatever and then the next time you see him he comes on he's in the casket basically okay i tell you all this and I'm t- i was telling this story about and but much more succinctly of course um as I'm telling this story in Congressman Man, Congress members, uh, Nadler's uh, office, Lizette is now leaning in and she's in it and she's laughing. Like, I'm like choking a little bit. Everybody's sort of like choking and laughing with me. And I'm just like, oh, I'm telling a story. I'm like a troubadour. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, or I thought just after, I'm, uh, I might be onto something here. Like, I know I could do this. I could tell the stories. Anyway, so I finished telling the story and I'll tell you the rest of the story that this, this is what happened. So later that, um, after the show, you know, all the kids are downstairs, um, going to the bathroom and getting ready to leave the the theater building. It's the first education performance. And so we always have a meet and greet with the, the cast and the staff after every first performance. So the cast are sort of like coming into the lower, lower lobby. I happen to come down into the main lower lobby and I see that kid. I check in with that kid and he tell, I tell, I ask him some questions and he was just like, I loved everything about it. It was so good. The acting was amazing. The set was so great. I can't believe I got to sit on stage. And I said, Oh yeah. What was, what was like the thing that stuck out to you the most? And he said, Oh, when he died, I cried. Um, I knew he was going to die, but still it was very sad. And I was like, yeah, that's really sweet. Oh, so then I happened to then start talking to the cast or members of the cast. Um, Jamon, who plays Malcolm, is very serious. This guy, this guy seemed very serious. And I thought, oh, God. And he, he, so I said, oh, I think the kids really were in it. You know, did you see that kid on stage? He was like, he was so engaged. And Jamon says, oh, yeah, that kid got to me. And in that like split second, I thought, oh, goodness gracious, I'm right. He was a distraction and maybe they're going to, you know, ask about who gets to sit on stage and oh no, oh no, oh no. And a beat later, Jamon says, yeah, so I saw him. So, oh no, a beat later, I say, well, uh, you know, he was really touched towards the, in the second act, like he, he was crying. He cried when Malcolm died and, um, you know, so I think he really was very engaged and Jamon says, yeah, well, I saw him wipe that tear. I saw him wipe his face. And then 
when I was coming back in um, on the gurney, on the, in the casket, he whispered to me, good job. And that meant everything. And I was, I was like, what? Oh my God, that's amazing. That's amazing. I talk a lot about the fact that, you know, uh, there are a lot of performers who don't perform for or have never really performed for an all-student group, right? So it's, you know, 10 to 1 ratio of kids to adults. And some people get really nervous about that. And yet there's, you know, there's something about kids who are that expressive, who are that reactive, that viscerally reactive. They are literally telling you, um, and giving you and sending you uh, as an artist all this energy, which then fuels you as artists that you give back. So there's this like reciprocal energy give and take, right? But the, the added piece of having an audience on stage meant that there is this also this reciprocal uh, magic. I don't know how to put it any other way. This reciprocal magic that can happen for both the audience and the artist. So that kid will ha- have, has impacted that actor and that actor has impacted that kid in ways that are, well, we're trying to measure, frankly, but the artist piece is not something that we've ever really talked about. So anyway, that was my story that I was telling and I was saying, and this is happening in your congressperson's district. So we need to save the NEA because without the NEA, we can't, it's going to be harder and harder for us to maintain the $2 tickets and to make sure that kids, all kids around the city have access to this kind of poignant work. So what did I learn? What did I take away from this experience? We are allowed to speak like anybody can make an appointment. If you want to talk to your congressman in person, you can do that. I mean, it helps when it's organized by somebody like Americans for the Arts, but we have a right for to do this and we should be doing this. And it needs to become a part of our everyday in a way that it hasn't before. And um, and I want to learn more. I also want to be able to, to speak eloquently and clearly about what's happening politically. I started listening to um, a new podcast called POD, P-O-D, POD Save America. Um, and it's by these three um, young men. <laughs> They're in their 30s um, who used to work as part of the Obama administration um, who really have a good sense of what um, how government works from the inside. They are um, talking about current issues, um, trying to sort of lay out what not only what has happened, but what what should happen if it's crazy or um, what sort of scenarios can, can happen. They don't try to predict, but that's helpful. They sort of do it in a real, a real way, like a way that's pretty relatable as opposed to sort of on a more journalistic level. Um, but I, but it is biased. I, I would say like they, they really don't like our president or anybody <laughs> it seems in their administration. Um, but that's been helping me too. I think not just because I also have um, problems with our president, but because um, I feel like I'm getting an inside scoop a little bit, um, sort of pulling back the veil 
in a way. And that's what being in D.C. felt like. Being in the in Congress and talking to the staffers, I felt like we were pulling back the veil and better understanding about, you know, what you can only hear through the media and how crazy it feels for the media. But knowing that, you know, like anything that you think is happening is basically happening and it is crazy. But we are doing our business and we need to hear from you and we need to know what you think and why you think it so that we can continue to fight for you and that is um for me very heartening very very heartening thank you for listening to episode two of teaching artistry with courtney j body the arts advocacy day diaries coming up next courtney interviews shoba kevin akudiel Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Ritz-Totten is the creative content manager. John O. Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org. Follow us on Twitter at T-A underscore artistry. Like our page on Facebook. Listen to us on SoundCloud. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now.